0: If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, we continue our journey through the gospel according to Luke. On Thursday at 9.30 p.m., Officer Brian Sicknick died due to trauma sustained on Wednesday afternoon. The trauma came when a mob stormed the U.S. Capitol building where Officer Sicknick was on duty with the Capitol Police. Officer Sicknick was a military veteran having served And the New Jersey National Guard and having been on two deployments overseas and then serving the Capitol Police for the past 12 years. What had Officer Sicknick done to deserve this death? He stood his ground to defend the Capitol building and those inside it, America's federally elected officials. The mob was at its wit's end. They felt their country had betrayed them, that they needed to take matters into their own hands. So they pushed and pushed and pushed and forced their way into the capital at the expense of the life of Officer Sicknick. Darkness is everywhere. The power of darkness is an ever-present danger, especially for those who intentionally put themselves on the front line of the battle. Officer Sicknick did not deserve to die in this way. Yet he willingly put himself in harm's way in order to stand against the darkness of an unlawful, riotous mob. The power of darkness that we see in our text this morning, though, is even greater than what that officer faced. The power of darkness as we see it in Luke chapter 22 is a power that made its way to Jesus' door. The power of darkness is seen in the agony, the betrayal, the abandonment, And the blasphemy it brings to the only man who never deserved it. Read with me from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. We'll be in verses 39 through 65 today. We're going to start in verse 39, and we're just going to begin by reading through verse 46. Luke 22, starting in verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Darkness brings agony. It was God's will that Jesus would suffer and die. It was God's will that Jesus would suffer and die. Jesus knew the plan And Jesus submitted himself to this plan. Since Luke chapter 9, Jesus has made it clear that he was going to Jerusalem, and he was going to Jerusalem for a particular purpose. This particular purpose was also made clear three times in Luke. Jesus predicted his death, and not just that he was going to die. I mean, anyone can predict that they're going to die, because we all die. But the specific details surrounding his death, Luke chapter 9, verses 21 and 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. A few verses later, in chapter 9, verses 44 and 45, Jesus said, Let these words, as he's talking to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. In chapter 18, as he was getting close to Jerusalem, Verses 31 through 33. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, look, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Jesus knew what was coming. This was not new to Jesus, and it's not new if you've read the Old Testament. Beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when God is speaking to Satan in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.15, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is a prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 from God himself about Jesus, the offspring of the woman who will bruise the head of the serpent, Satan. But it's going to come at the expense of his heel. God did not surprise Jesus with this the night before. Oh, hey, Jesus, by the way, the whole point of you becoming a man was so that you could die one of the most gruesome deaths known to man. I hope you're cool with that. That's not how it worked. Jesus knew this all along. Look at the citation of Isaiah 53 in our text. In verse 37, we didn't read it, but we can read it. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. That's why we read Isaiah 53 to begin our service. Who is fulfilling it? For what is written about me has its fulfillment. Who's fulfilling it? Well, God is fulfilling what God has planned. God's fulfilling his own plan. God the Father is the agent who is sending Jesus, God the Son, to death. This betrayal, the arrest, the abandonment, the mocking and blasphemy was all God's plan. And God uses the characters in our story to detail why and how this plan has all come together. Don't be so naive as to think that God cannot or does not use the physical world to accomplish his will. To the contrary, it is precisely through the physical that God accomplishes the spiritual. God does not just exist in the physical or in the spiritual realm. He engages and interacts with us physically. Jesus came so that we could see, that we could hear, that we could understand and know who God is and what God's doing. We're reading together 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, our book of the month or our scripture journal of the month. What we have seen, what we have heard, with our own eyes, with our own ears, we proclaim to you, is what John says to begin 1 John. These are things that we have been able to witness in the physical. And as Christians, we exist in the world so that those around us would see and hear and know who God is and what God is doing. But don't become arrogant and self-reliant. We are frail and weak without the strength of God. Jesus himself became weak. An angel was sent, as we read, to strengthen him. And Jesus himself was in an agony. I mean, I don't know how many times you use the word agony to describe your pain, but that's a pretty serious word. Like, I'm in agony. This is an intense moment of just awful experience. He experienced the full limitation of the physical so that we could experience the full power of the spiritual. But it was not just Jesus who was weak in our passage. The disciples also were weak. Jesus warned them of this. He encouraged them to pray. He wanted them to pray. He expected them to pray. Prayer is what will keep you from temptation and sin because only prayer recognizes both our limitations and God's omnipotence. God is all powerful. That's all that omnipotence means. And so humans, we Christians must find our strength in God. We must find our power in God. If he is all powerful, where would we where else would we find our strength? God delights to answer the prayers of those who call upon his name, because he then is able to show His power, and it will be known that it's His power. Don't think of it as the power of prayer. Let's think of it and talk about it as the power of the God to whom we pray. Prayer in and of itself is no good if we're not praying to the Lord Himself, the God who created the heavens and the earth. Prayer in and of itself is no good if we're not praying like Jesus has taught us to pray that the Father's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Confession of sin is illegitimate if there is no intent for repentance. Asking God for stuff to spend on your own desires and passions is not prayer. True prayer is prayer to God the Father from a penitent heart, a humble heart, a heart that recognizes and desires the peace that only God can bring. The strength that only God can provide. The grace that only Jesus has afforded to us through his death and his resurrection. Let's be reminded of the hymn that we just sang a few minutes ago. Listen to these words. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because, why? We don't carry everything to God in prayer. Do we have trials? Do we have temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Oh, no, my life's good. No, that's not. There is, but we should never be discouraged because we can take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful Who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. It's almost as if the writer of that hymn was reading Luke 22 and said, Man, think about all the trouble Peter and the disciples could have avoided if they simply had prayed. Look at the weakness Jesus is showing in the garden. Jesus knows our weakness. He understands us. He gets it. Life is hard. There are troubles and temptations everywhere. We have a faithful high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way as we have been tempted. But he didn't give in to temptation. And one interesting thing here that we can look at, I've already alluded to Genesis chapter 3. But but notice how the Bible itself has brought us full circle back to the garden. Back to a garden. The Garden of Eden was where sin and its effects began. It's where man gave into temptation at the beginning. But where Adam failed, Jesus Christ aced it. Jesus was in such an agony because a great reversal had begun. It started in the Garden of Eden... And it would begin to end in the Garden of Gethsemane. The sin that Adam brought upon us all was now beginning to be laid back upon Jesus. The wrath of God was beginning to be poured out on Jesus. The perfect sacrifice. The spotless Passover lamb. As we looked at last week. This is why his sweat became as drops of blood. The sacrifice was beginning. The eternal price tag that came with sin was being placed upon the only man who never sinned. Jesus drank the bitter cup that was reserved for me. His blood was going to wash away my sin. The wrath of God was going to be poured out on him. That's what Jesus is talking about when he references the cup. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. God's wrath and justice... Toward sin had to be paid for. It wasn't going to just vanish and go away. God would not be a just God if He let sin go unpunished. So the cup that the Father is pouring out on Jesus is the cup of God's wrath toward sin. If we put our hope and trust in Jesus as a substitute for our sin, God no longer has to punish us. For our sin, through faith and repentance, we are now in a right relationship with God. He now sees Christ's innocence when he looks at me because my guilt, my darkness, was put on Jesus. And the pain was excruciating. Our darkness brought agony upon the only man who never deserved agony. The power of darkness... Is the agony it has brought to fallen sinful humanity and the agony it brought to the sacrificial sin bearing Jesus. But the power of darkness doesn't stop at the agony we face or the agony Jesus faced. The power of darkness is also the agony we bring upon others. Betrayal. Look with me at verses 47 through 53. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man, I, I love the description here, and the man called Judas, <laughs> like, he doesn't even want to say he's Jesus' disciple anymore, just, he's a man. The man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Remember one of those two swords that they had that they found earlier at the end of the supper? (laughs) And one of them, verse 50, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Betrayed by Judas, betrayed by his own leaders. Anyone can be rejected by an outsider, but to be rejected by your own people That's true hurt. That's true betrayal. By his own disciple. And in rejecting Jesus, they were rejecting God. What insanity! When you think about it, how our pride and our anger and our self-preservation leads us to miss the truths staring us right in the face. One of Jesus' disciples struck off the right ear, not the left ear, the right ear of the servant of the high priest. And then what happens? Jesus heals the dude's ear. I mean, like, they were given just one final chance to realize who this was. Like, dude's ear just got cut off, and Jesus is like, oh, no, that's fine. I'll fix that. And it's fixed. And then everyone just continues doing what they were already planning on doing instead of realizing, wow. I don't think anyone else could have done this. Especially not that quickly and not with the medical technology that they had at the time. I mean, it was healed. Pride and anger and self-preservation, though, as we've been looking at for the last couple months, as Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and he has sparred back and forth as he has contended with The leaders and the priests and the scribes, their pride and anger and self preservation have been on full display. And it can blind us to the brightest of lights, staring right at us. We betray in order to preserve. But what are we preserving? What are we trying to hold on to? Christian martyr Jim Elliott once said, He is no fool. Who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What is within your grasp that is keeping you from holding on to Jesus instead? When your grip gets tighter on the things of this world, the level we're willing to stoop down to gets lower and lower. And so the power of darkness shows itself. The power of darkness has shown itself in the agony of the betrayal of one of Jesus' own disciples. Darkness brings agony. Darkness brings betrayal. And darkness brings abandonment. Look with me at verses 54 through 62. Verse 54, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then the servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You, you're also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. I don't know if it was like that, but it was something like that. No, this is not me. You got got the wrong guy. Verse 59, And after an interval of about an hour, so Peter's had an hour to think about his two denials, and he's given a third opportunity. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Darkness brings abandonment. The temptation to run from Jesus and trust in one's own strength. The candid failures of the disciples are on full display for us. In the Gospels, the the disciples are not normally the people who display great faith. Samaritans display great faith. Women display great faith. Kids display great faith. Sick people, healed people, marginalized people, these are the people who display great faith. So in the toughest moment to be a disciple, as Jesus is being betrayed and arrested, it is, is it the disciples who show great faith? No, not at all. Those closest to Jesus are the quickest to abandon him. Have you ever pondered why that is? And how strange it is that Luke records this for us, that all of the Gospels record this for us. I mean, look, if you're trying to create a religion, one of the last things you'd probably do is talk about how much of a failure you were when you were needed most. A, at the time of need, I was nowhere to be found. I mean, I wouldn't include that tidbit. The stuff wasn't made up. Jesus didn't want to go through his passion alone. But he had to because of the self-reliance of the disciples. Each of the disciples failed, and Peter did first and foremost. The The details, three times, three different people, three different false statements. He had every chance to get it right, and yet he failed every time. Do you think he would not have denied Jesus if he had prayed? If he truly knew the spiritual battle that he was in, he would have known that his own strength was not enough to match Satan's darkness. What strength are you resting in for your battles? Where is your trust in your most trying times? Friends, all of us are in a battle. But the battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is a spiritual battle. It affects the physical, but it is A spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the disciples were sure to include this failure about themselves, not just to add some intrigue to the story, but to give an example of what happens when you trust in your own strength. And not God's strength, when we rely on our own armor and not the armor of God. How do we trust in God's strength? Pray. Maybe, just maybe, we can see from Jesus' own example and Peter's own failure that prayer has the power to bring us into the right side of God's will. Because prayer itself is a statement that says, I trust God's will. I believe in God's strength. I'm okay with whatever hardship comes. I'm okay with the unknown because of who I do know. He knows me, and that's enough. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep me. And he keeps me because he knows me. And I know him, and so I trust him. So instead of joining with the mob... And taking charge of the situation by force, I trust in God's will. Instead of complaining about the outcome of the election and storming the Capitol, I can rest in knowing that God's will has been done and is being done. Instead of running away because those who committed themselves to us have forsaken us, we rest in knowing that God's will has been done and is being done. Instead of giving in because ministry is hard when nobody wants to get within six feet of you, and personal relationships at a distance are really difficult, we press on and continue to trust in his sovereignty and not our own strength. But God forbid that his will come through my sin and my trust in myself. Friends, this is a hard truth to accept. God's will has been accomplished in Christ Through agony and betrayal and abandonment. The light of God's grace shines through the darkness, but it does not give us a license to sin and to stay in the darkness. Should I sin more so that grace may abound all the more? Absolutely, positively not. Romans 6 we've been buried to sin, we've been raised to walk in a new way of living. We're not given a license to trust in our own strength. Peter wept bitterly. That rooster crowed, and immediately Peter recognized what he had done. Peter had gone. Read earlier in chapter 22. Peter had gone. Look, I'll read it. Verse 33. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. This is verse 33. By verse 62... Peter has denied even knowing Jesus. Like, I don't even know that guy. He's gone from, I'll go, I'll be in prison with you for years, I'll die with you, to, I've never met this man in my whole life. In like 30 verses. Self preservation will bring out the worst in us. And perhaps political preservation has brought out the worst in us and too many of us stop trying to save the country and start trying to save your neighbor. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? If you can't take the pain of an election not gone your way or take the pain of an election being stolen, are you sure you've truly understood the cost required to be a disciple of Jesus? This Christian faith that we say we profess, that we say we possess, is a faith that goes to the limits of every single facet of our lives. Every single facet. There is no part of your life as a Christian in this world. And frankly, there's no part of this world of creation at all where God does not rightfully say, "Mine, My will is being done. As a Christian, your life is no longer your own. You're no longer the one who determines your own truth. God has opened your eyes to see the truth. And open your ears to hear the truth. And open your hearts to receive the truth. And now you've been called to walk in the truth. Not your own truth, the truth. And this truth will no doubt demand from you the agony of betrayal and abandonment because of your walking in the truth. As humans, we all experience agony. We experience pain and suffering. This isn't news to you. I'm not telling you something you You haven't known that you haven't known this past week, probably. But what agony and betrayal and abandonment are you suffering because of the expression of your faith working itself out in love? What agony and betrayal and abandonment are you suffering because of the expression of your faith working itself out in love? There is a time and a place to take a stand. But the Bible tells us that we should probably start with the orphan and the widow and the poor and the marginalized. Maybe we should stop worrying about what's happening six hours away in Washington and start having a care for what's happening to our neighbor, and to our co-worker, to our friend. Start paying attention to what's happening in our own home and in our own relationships. It is never too late to begin to assess your own thoughts and words and actions. What darkness has a foothold inside of you? And the first darkness that we need to assess as fallen sinners is the ultimate darkness. The darkness that leads to spiritual death. This darkness can be described as blasphemy. Verses 63 through 65. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Darkness brings blasphemy. Earlier in Luke's gospel, chapter 12, Jesus says that the one Who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the refusal to acknowledge Jesus as being the Christ. We've been reading through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as I mentioned earlier, as a church over the last month plus. And John repeats these little tidbits. If anyone denies that Jesus came in the flesh, if anyone denies that Jesus is the Christ, If anyone denies that Jesus is the Son of God, he's a liar and a deceiver. The truth is not in him. It's quite interesting that Luke presents to us the fact that those who beat Jesus are themselves the ones committing blasphemy. In the other Gospels, it is Jesus who is accused of blasphemy by the priests and the councils. But here in Luke, the one who, under the power of darkness, is the true one who is a blasphemer. The one who is under the power of darkness is the one who is the blasphemer. So what camp do you fall under today? Do you trust that Jesus is the Christ, the baby born of a virgin who lived a perfect life and died a gruesome death and was raised on the third day to pay for the sins of the world Or do you trust in yourself? The power of darkness has brought and still brings agony and betrayal and abandonment and blasphemy. But Christ brings peace. He brings fellowship. He brings life. He brings truth. And the resurrection is proof of this. Have you put your faith and trust in him? And if so, are you continuing to put your faith and trust in him? Choose the light. Abandon the dark. The power of God is greater than the power of darkness. Let's pray. God Would you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear that we might understand, recognize, and know what darkness may be in us? God, there is darkness in each of us. There is darkness that has been in each of us. And there is darkness that is still in us, knocking at the door. God, would you... Help us to recognize it, to run away from it, to put on your armor, to trust in your strength and not in our own. God, not just that we would run away from the darkness and run away from sin, but that we would run toward you, run toward the light. God, give us wisdom to know to live as children of light in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.